0: Memes are one of the most dangerous forms of communication we have right now because they have taught people that very complex ideas should be bite sizable and if not, there's something wrong with that.
1: Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life, and one day, a better world. Well, greetings, everybody. Greetings, Mike. Thank you for joining me today. So this is one of those serendipitous moments in life, triggered by a serendipitous moment a couple, three, four weeks ago when Mike reached out to me on behalf of his company to ask if I would be on their fairly nascent podcast program. And the company, okay, if I say the company name, Mike, is that cool? or not uh, cool? No, I didn't get okay. the permission. Can't that. do it. It's confidential people. Anyway, in talking to Mike, we got along famously and began very quickly descending into interesting and call it important conversations about different aspects of the world. We spent a little time talking about politics, one of my favorites, but fundamentally a lot of time talking about humans. And as everybody knows, that's my thing. So. After we figured out how I was going to be on their show, I asked Mike if he would be on my show. And he very graciously said, sure. And so, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mike Hutchinson to Insert Human. Mike, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Chris.
0: That was a better introduction than I deserve, probably.
1: Oh, come now. So I think just to get us rolling, I'd love to have you share sort of a short form version of your of your journey. Today, Mike is in the, what I would call digital marketing space, he's an expert in that arena. But if we rewind a little bit, I think how he started out and how he ended up where he is, is I think a really interesting tale. So Mike, have at it.
0: Yeah, well, so I actually have to start my tale with a book. Okay. because like a lot of people, I read a book that changed how I thought about things and it it opened my eyes to something that I had never thought about before. And I thought it was wonderful. And that book is where is the sound? It's called Why We Buy by Paco Underhill. It's old now, but it goes into their research in things like how physical touching or physical distance and location to people impact purchase behavior in large groups. How if someone brushes against you when you're shopping, you're less likely to buy the thing you were holding because all of a sudden you have a negative experience with that item you were looking at because someone brushed up against you. Wow! And so it just it just wait, wait say heart.
1: that last part again. You have a negative experience because why? Why? Is because that- someone
0: brushed into your personal space,
1: like contamination. No, a-
0: no, not not even that. It's not something that you think about. It's something that happens because someone got into your personal space as you were looking at. All of a sudden, you have a slight negative reaction to the thing you're focused on, which is what you were buying, because someone brushed into your personal space and you weren't expecting. And on a macro level, that means if you put your clothing racks too close together in a store, you won't sell as much because people will be browsing things. And if your store is too busy, the bustle of knocking into people will, on that macro level, drop your sales percentage down 10, 15, 20%.
1: I'm not doubting you, although in the back of the recesses of my brain, there was an entity here in Boston by the name of Filene's Basement. I don't know if you've ever heard of Filene's Basement, no. but it was literally a basement in a building in downtown Boston, and it was all seconds. I mean, Mm -hmm. before that was in the days when seconds really existed and they would just dump the clothes in there. And there, I think, I don't know what day of the week was, but it was a frenzy. So there are obviously exceptions, but I think what you're saying is generally speaking, it's going to serve you not so well. have people touching people while they shop. Mm -hmm. is—that's the And that
0: that was just like a, a little piece of learning that they got from just watching people shop, watching their behaviors. And they wrote a book on how this affects commercialism at the time. But when you look deeper into it, it really reads into you, how did, for me at least, how do people react and respond? And how do we deal with that? How do we adjust that? It led me on a career that led to how do you influence people on a macro level by understanding these psychological and physiological things.
1: How old were you then when you read the book?
0: I read that book when I was seventeen.
1: Oh wow! I read that, that book. I was, I was seventeen. I was seventeen, but okay.
0: <laughs> I was seventeen, sitting in my aunt's store that she was trying to run because she wasn't running it well enough to be able to afford employees. So I was there. Okay. And, and so I and I was it was under the counter. I read the book. It changed how I thought about things.
1: What did you do then?
0: From there, I joined the United States Army.
1: Oh, I've heard of them
0: as a psychological warfare specialist. Oh my God. It is a super fancy way of saying sound monkey because the general training for a psychological warfare specialist is a lot of sound equipment. It's message dissemination. It's, you know, how do you inform a native population of the things that they need to know, subtext? How do you get them to do the things that you want to do?
1: So this um, includes dropping pamphlets from planes? Does. Is, that, is that right? Yeah, Yeah,
0: pamphlets for message dissemination to foreign newspaper usage. The interesting thing about the Army is when the Army does something, they do it 120%, but then they don't, might not utilize it. So the training I went through as a psychological warfare specialist was good, but the resources that I had available to me as I was training to look into and read more were phenomenal. You know, the, the kinds of military research studies, the kinds of data and information on the effects of messaging on large populations, the effects of different types of messaging, the effects of dissemination. And it was one of those things that if you're not paying attention, if, if you're just there to be a rah-rah, I'm a soldier, you, you get trained at your job and you go out drinking at night and that's cool. If you want to, you've got access to some amazing information that you can really expand your mind about.
1: Is it fair to say that for the last couple of elections, there's been obviously a lot of concern expressed about foreign governments doing what they do in social media to try to sway perspectives to one side or the other? I assume that's all grounded. And I mean, you, you obviously don't really know. But I would guess you can guess that it's all grounded in psychological warfare principles. Is that? Oh yeah. That, I mean, they, they're not just benign bloggers posting random stuff. It's very. Yeah.
0: No, all of that, all of the anti-vax information coming out of Russia is targeted to weaken our economy, because by stopping people from getting vaccinated, our economy doesn't come back as fast. And if our economy doesn't come back as fast, America is not as powerful. Right. It is economic warfare Right. through but my, misinformation.
1: But my point in there, Mike, is implicit in it is a behavioral science, like them mm-hmm. understanding what triggers will cause people to react in certain ways. It's not just blindly posting anti-vax messaging, right? right. We're sophisticated than that. Is that
0: fair? 100%. Yeah, yes. You know, and, and that's, that's really the dangers of memes. You know, if, if we want to talk about something interesting, memes are one of the most dangerous forms of communication we have right now because they have taught people that very complex ideas should be bite sizable. And right. if not, there's something wrong with them. Right. Or there's something being hidden or there's something lying that the whole meme culture. And and that has exploded to be so easily used because there are a lot of things that make a whole lot of sense in one sentence that once or less than a sentence that seem very reasonable until you actually have the full information. But if no one's getting to the full information because all they're seeing is, you know, 12 words over a picture of Squidward and then they're making an opinion on that. Well, that's that's real dangerous. Right. And in,
1: that is targeted. In, in writing, I, I mentioned to you that I'm, I'm writing this book, Technology is Dead, mm-hmm. an examination of, of the history of innovation, technological innovation, and where we are and where we're going to go. And one of my observations is is exactly what you just said, which is the, the expectation of the modern human is, is everything should be able to be reduced down to a simple, not even an equation. <laughs> yeah a word. <laughs> and, and and so the, the appetite for complexity, I think, has just completely disappeared. I presume from that it becomes that much easier to manipulate through the use of memes and other simple expressions.
0: And then we add in the fact that right now we we literally have a war against education. Yesterday in Idaho, they just canceled teacher raises. There was a huge statewide plan that that was going to improve the pay that teachers got to help improve the education system down, the public education system down there. And their legislature just stopped it. These were plans that had had been done, they'd been set, and they was just said, no, we're not not paying more to education. Half of our political force values uneducated voters because they can control-
1: Manipulate- Mm -hmm.
0: It's easy easy to manipulate a person who doesn't look deeper into
1: something. Well, I was actually talking to my sister the other day about the state of the world, particularly the state of America. And I said, you know, the thing that blows me away the most is if you look at the last two elections, 2016, 2020, in none of the debates, primary or final Democrat, Republican, none of the candidates referenced education. I mean, maybe I didn't catch every debate, but I got most of them and it did not come up as a central pillar of how we improve the state of our country. And it makes no logical sense to me because if people aren't satisfied or happy with their job opportunities and or if we're frustrated with people's lack of understanding about basic principles or basic ways of being, Mm -hmm. the answer the only answer to my mind lies in education I agree education
0: is is how we
1: remove ourselves
0: from this all dark age of intolerance and science hating that some of us are trying to enter into right but I don't know how you educate people that don't want to be educated part of the problem is you know is that you know, a lot of people that that education would benefit you know it's like when we look at things like you know the coal mining, Right. These are people that would their lives would be so much better retraining to a new skill that doesn't involve sacrificing their body to haul chunks of coal out of the ground and blackening their lungs until they can't breathe and die and train them in a new skill. But they have been taught and they have been told so many times that that's wrong or that accepting that help is wrong or that accepting from the state is wrong, or that anything about what they're doing is wrong or bad or different than what they should expect. And they fight against it harder. You know, it's it's that weird piece where, you know, the, was it two thirds of Amazon's workers in Tennessee voted not to unionize because they were scared for their jobs. They were scared, you know, like. How do you deal with that when someone is so fearful or so beaten down? And, you know, more education can help future generations, but we also have to look at, you know, how do we help the people who have been affected by these terrible things now?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm realizing is that these solutions, it goes back to complexity versus simplicity. In a way, the problems appear simple, but they're actually really complex, and the solutions necessarily are complex, mm-hmm. and the solutions require a lot of time. Like, right? Like, we can't solve any of the endemic issues we face societally overnight. And I'm not convinced we can solve many of them through the context or course of a single administration. Like, four years isn't very long. No. Right. And so, I think one of the things that I've been toying with in my book is how do we rethink? the leadership of society you know the historic view is that it's it's government led right that it's a government bias proposition and i'm just not convinced at least in this country maybe in all developed countries that that model actually can work anymore so, given the, the nature or the complexity of the problems we're trying to solve
0: see i think it can I, I actually think the government is the answer i think that a strong central control and understanding is is the best way to do this the biggest problem is in our country, we've had one side of the electorate keeps, you know, goes up there and looks its constituents in the eyes and says, government doesn't work for you. And then they elect them and then they prove it, you know, like, Perfect. you know, I, I mean, there, there's no better way to put it. They go up there, they they, they stand on their soapbox, they look over at the, at the at their constituents who are generally hurting and fearful and they say, other people cause this and the government won't help you. And then they vote for them and the government doesn't help. Them. Right. So... You know, well it's, that, it's, that
1: that whole craziness about a vaccine in the prior administration saying your freedom is more important than your physical health or the health of others. Like the like
0: well in America, we have an unhealthy obsession with the word freedom. And uh, it does okay. not mean what we believe it means. You know, the this I this fetishization of freedom that we have, that for some reason that the highest the highest thing is to have no one tell you something. I just, I don't get that. It is it is something that I just don't understand because that's not what freedom means. And as as freedom goes, as Americans, we are not the most free people in the world right. by a long stretch. Right. But you can't tell them that.
1: Right. You know, and, and you know so, that the, the New Hampshire state motto is live free or die.
0: Oh, well, <laughs> okay. There's, and there are still people living in that state. Yeah, it's like okay. Yeah, like you know, we—it's it, okay. just this—you know—there's this odd, like libertarian wet dream that no one should tell me what what anything in my life, and I should be the the Ubermensch or something. And it's like we're pack animals. We yeah. we do best with others. Our greatest works in history are not of one man. They are of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I go, going back to sort of the underlying psychology of it all, I think in a strange way, it's a protective stance, right? Like holding on to my freedom if, if everything else is not available to me. Like that's my last, that's my last weapon, if you will, in yeah. the fight. And the irony of course is you need, you actually you need other people to win the fight. You, need, you know, like no, yeah. you're actually going the wrong way on this one, you know. Yeah. But I want to go I want to go back to you so you join the army and you get in there and and they teach you amazing things and you have incredible resources available to you. I just love to hear like a couple of holy shit moments you had back then in terms of either learning about psychological warfare or experiencing something that, you know, maybe carried forward as another, you know, it's got like, like the book you read, you know, that, that Mm -hmm. was carried forward. Was was there anything in that experience that carried forward? And if not, that's fine. We can keep going.
0: Honestly, the, the thing that I I really, really saw how powerful it was, and, and it really, really gave me the understanding was Maslow's hierarchy. Using fan that fan. hierarchy when when looking at how to communicate with people, how to disseminate messages, figuring where they are in that hierarchy and how to reach them and reach them with a message to help them get to the next step. You know, things of that nature. Something so simple as you know, if if you know where where they are, you can address their exact problem, and your message is hundreds of times more effective. Especially when we start talking at the macro level. When we're talking about influencing a population, well, if you know the population is displaced, well, then you know exactly where they are on Maslow's hierarchy and how to talk to them. And at that point, what lever to pull to get them to do what you want, because you know what to tell them to get them to do the thing that you want.
1: I was actually, this is so funny. I was on a call yesterday and I was explaining to a, I'll say younger person, a term that I came upon many years ago when I put the company that I was running, we put all the sales people through a program taught by Xerox Learning Systems called Need Satisfaction Selling. And the big idea for this program, this is probably like early 90s, the big idea was the way to sell more effectively is to first identify the customer's need, then acknowledge the need, then right. present your product in, in context of the need, which back then was like yeah. radical thinking. Yeah. Cause I think back then you sold features. You're like, right. and this and this and this, but this was very focused on need. And I think that's the point you're making is that if you understand where the other person is in the need state mm-hmm. and you present whatever it is you're presenting to them through that lens, the likelihood of adoption goes through the roof. 100%. And just for the audience, for those that don't know Maslow, I, like Mike, I'm I'm a big, big fan of Maslow. The hierarchy of need is probably his most famous output. And it's a pyramid, five levels of need. First level is physiological. Second level is safety. Third level is belonging. Fourth level is self-esteem. And fifth level is Mm self-actualization. The vast majority of people live their lives at the, my view, first three levels of need. Like really, yeah. I don't know if you agree with that.
0: I, I actually, I think that you're being generous. I think, <laughs> I think that, especially when we look at our society, I think a lot of people are living in the first two. And that's a sad state. statement. Yeah. And, and that is a very sad statement because that that is that is a direct. Reflection of our
1: society, and I agree with that. And I put, I would include the sense of control and safety. Like, why are we all such control freaks? Like, what is that about? Is that like we're well, we're just type A, hyper organized people? I don't think so. I think there's a there's a base level of need happening in there where we don't like feeling out of control because that feels unsafe.
0: Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, I, I gave a talk a couple of years ago, and at some point, I referenced Uber and the success of Uber. And I said, you know, why is Uber uh, valued at $130 billion or whatever the number was back then? And I said, is it because it gets us from point A to point B and it's really convenient? I'm like, maybe. But I actually think the holy shit of Uber is that it puts us in control. That we go from the days of taxi cabs when we're out of control. You don't know when, you don't know who, you don't know when you're going to get there. You know, you just it's all unknown to the Uber experience where you're 100% in control, right? I mean, you know the, you know, you know the color of the car. You know exactly when you're, you know, you know everything. Yep. And that's the holy shit of Uber. Okay, so from the army, what happened to you? Where would you go from there?
0: Went to college, Kent State University, and got my degree in managerial marketing. Okay. So once again, just moving, moving my expertise from the military to the corporate world because there is no difference between propaganda and marketing it is it is the same thing with a, just a different objective oh, so it's, it's just separating people from their money instead of using it for a, you know governmental purposes right. that's the only the only difference every every piece of marketing out there is propaganda and every piece of propaganda
1: is just marketing for something do you, do you apply these learnings to your personal life <laughs> i do Does your wife know about them <laughs> <laughs> wait are you applying them to me mike <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> okay. So out of there, you move into the, you're in the corporate world.
0: Yeah, I, I go to the corporate world. I, I go agency for for 10 years as a digital analyst, moving into a digital strategist.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: And That's then fast where forward. At now. You're,
1: yeah. You're doing your thing. A, a little sidebar that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is some of the work that you're doing in the political arena.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I spend talk- my, yeah, I volunteer my free time to help political candidates win because, there's not a lot of people like me who work on the left.
1: Right. There's so, a lot on the right, but not on the left. There is a
0: well, it's it's because it's a business-based skill that right. people generally, you know, people go into marketing because they want a nice paycheck. You know, nobody goes into marketing very rarely because they're passionate about marketing. You go into marketing because it pays well. It's a right. business skill that that has a good steady paycheck if you are okay at it. That is why most people go into marketing. And so most people aren't volunteering their time in politics that have the skills and understanding of these modern tools.
1: in So in your work in the political arena, I mean, one of the things you mentioned is the the power of memes to move people, you know, Mm -hmm. the the desperate search for simple answers to complicated questions. What are some other observations you've had being on the front lines of, of these political races in terms of, What's amazing? What's maybe shocking about people? If you were advising a candidate, you know, what are the three things a candidate should consider? Like kind of just any platitudes that you've Um, pulled out of the experience. Because I think the audience, you know, we're sort of on the outs, you know, in an ironic way, I think we're on the outside of politics. mm -hmm. Like what we see is at the voting booth and we see the stuff on the on on the on the web. but, But we don't necessarily understand the underpinnings of how it's all actually happening.
0: Right. For people who are listening to podcasts and thinking like, I want to make a difference. I want to run because that's how you make a difference in our society. If you want to make a big difference, you either make enough money that you could throw it at a problem until it goes away, or you learn, build up and get into the government so that you can make those positive changes. If People want to make those positive changes. I mean, so first off, starting is the most important part. So many people have grandiose ideas. So many people are, you know, oh, I could do a good job. And you know what? They could. They just need to do it. It is made to look daunting so that more people don't try to be involved. But it is not. Really? It is. It can be as easy as going, I want to make a difference and starting. That is an effective start because like most things, it's a system. And the system is designed to keep most people from wanting to participate. Because if more people participate in it, we have politicians, people that are participating in it, well, they have to pay more attention. They have to do more. They actually have to do their jobs if we're paying right. attention, right? right? So it is designed to, to obscure and make it seem like it's this weird mystical thing. Running for office is as simple as getting a pamphlet, getting enough people to sign sign it in your area. You know, if you're running for mayor, it can take X number of people. If you're running for Senate, you know, you get so many signatures. Get your signatures and just start going. You'll be amazed. People want to help. There are so many people out here that want to volunteer that don't have the ability to because no one's trying to reach out to them. Right. Hmm. So first thing you do is you you get yourself out there and then you put yourself out there so others can see it. And I think a lot of people will be amazed how many friends, family, even just neighbors, when when they step up and say, like, I want to make a difference, how many people will step in behind them to help them out?
1: I love that. I I love, I love your clarion cry to people that like step step forward don't be afraid i do have the sort of a more mechanistic question of and by the way i've contemplated this because i'm i'm to the audience i was telling mike that i've not been feeling well lately and i and i think it's because i've been internalizing the concerns of the world you know and so one way i can maybe get on the other side of that is to step into into politics and stop simply being a podcaster and being being something more than that. But the mechanistic part is literally you get X thousand signatures and that puts you, yeah. puts that you, puts you that's puts you out there. Yeah. But then, then what? Like, like
0: and, and that's the, thing. It's, then hire
1: Mike, then you hire Mike.
0: <laughs> if you're progressive enough, you just call me. <laughs> I, I'm an idealist. Right. So, I am too. but yeah, it's the thing is, you know, because once you're there, everything is changing so fast due to technology, due to, diseases, you know, everything is new, basically every four years at this point, everything changes so fast that all the old playbooks don't work. You know, the things that I did to win to help a candidate win in 2018, they didn't work by 2020. Really? Um, like, like, yeah, it's just that fast. You know, yeah, the, the basics work, but it is so new. It is so different that you just have to go because it's more important that you're there doing it than, you know, all these people trying to do it perfect. Because you can't, there's too, there's too much change. we, We live in, in chaos. Chaos is everywhere always and that we think that we can order it is is adorable but it's always there and right. we just have to embrace it
1: are there no, are there no basic principles of of going you know on the circuit like are like
0: i mean there there are certain things that hold true face to face meeting is always better than a phone call which is always better than if you're running as a candidate the most effective thing you can do with your time is knock on doors and meet voters period There is nothing more effective for a candidate's time than one-on-one voters because there's nothing that will change a person's mind more. Than a one-on-one talk with the actual candidate. It's sort of like it personalizes.
1: Op- it's sort of like the opposite of brushing up against somebody while you're shopping, <laughs> you know, like it, at the end of the day, it's still all human. It's- mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah. For for the cats when I work with them, there's there's a hierarchy we look at of how you should use your time. You know, and what one of the things that COVID really threw just just decimated was the number one thing I would tell can is it's it's you, you get out there and you knock doors. You get knock as many doors, you talk to as many people. And it doesn't matter who they are, because unless they are a diehard, I identify with the name of my political party, not the reasons I think just I'm just rooting for a team sport is how I look at politics. Anyone else you can get through to because all it takes is that candidate having a, a good one on one conversation with them and bringing up what, what I refer to is it's to get mind share. And you get mind share by aligning with a vote. So when I have, when my candidate's talking, I tell them, you want to fish out for what issue is important for that voter. Then you want to see where that voter is on that issue. And if you align, and you most likely will, because even the rightest of right people, 90% of the time, aren't that, they, they are rooting for the right but when you get to their personal politics, they are way more in the middle. It is only this association that has pulled right. them so far away. When if you actually get them to talk about their actual feelings and thoughts, they're very centric, you know, and, and that's most people. So it's it's getting figuring out what's their passion issue. Are they are they a dog person? The environment. Finding that issue and then getting common ground. As soon as you do that, it doesn't matter if there's an R, a D, an I, whatever's next to your name on that ballot. When they go in there, they're gonna remember, hey, that guy was a dog lover. And we talked about that. And you know, I I know that he gets me, and that's a vote. So a candidate's time should be spent talking, but only a candidate has that power. When you come to like volunteers, like if I'm just, if I'm volunteering to help you get elected right? I can talk to voters, but I'm not going to sway a vote. I'm not going to sway anybody that wasn't going to vote for you away. I might inform someone who didn't know about you to look more into, and then they might have, you know, they might align with you and vote. But as not you're you
1: not change your mind,
0: I'm not going to change it because there's nothing I can say. I like, oh, yeah, he's a really great guy. And I'm like, yeah, of course you're going to say he's like yo, hey this can i work with she is amazing and she she agrees with you on this they're like yeah of course you're saying it. it just doesn't have the same impact so for a volunteer time you get them on the phones because then it's more about how a number of people that they can talk to quickly you know they can call a bunch of people and then it's that gives you the data with that data you can then feed into okay i know this percent of my people they're good they're gonna vote for me this percent of people they're never gonna vote for me that's fine and this this chunk of people here they might vote for my candidate if my candidate talks to them so now i'm going to make sure my candidate just spends his time talking to those people yeah so it, it's it's there's there's crazy hierarchies for you know how to use time when it comes to advertising you know video is the best text is the worst if you can't have video you want to at least have a picture of your candidate because you need to personalize that
1: Nobody Chim- votes Chim- for Chim- a robot. Right, right. Yeah. We,
0: I, I keep a folder of political ads that, that I get, and some of my friends send me them too, from you know around the country. And I keep I, I have a winner and a loser side. And the funniest part about the loser side is you look at these pieces, and oh, some of them are beautifully designed. Oh, they're great, but they won't have the candidate's picture on them a lot of times, or or it'll be like a little small one circle in the corner, like you know looking like a video icon from a chat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then they'll have a whole bunch of those, and people don't connect with it because it's not personal. You know, they're, they're not seeing this candidate as a person or as someone who can help them. They're like a, you know, a thing on TV at that point or, or, you know, they just doesn't have that same level of, of connection. So if you're running, you want to do as much video as the candidate as you can because a video is the next closest thing to you talking
1: how important do you think for, for candidates the sort of slogan is? You know, I remember reading a piece in The New Yorker many years ago about Obama's campaign. He won in 2008. And not the inference, the declaration in that piece was it was all about the message of hope and change. That was like that was that swayed a lot of people. And I mean, do you subscribe to the power of a handful of words to move people? Or is it more what you said, which is really more it's more on the ground? It's need satisfaction, selling, meeting them where they are. Like, what's your what's your perspective on that?
0: A handful of words will get you a headline, but a headline doesn't get you votes. Right now, the thing the thing when we talk about hope and change was what else went around that? You, know, it ju- it wasn't just a bunch of words, right? right. You know, it was it was all, it was it was campaigns. It was you know talking about the things that he supposedly was going to do. He didn't do them all. It was promises. It was it was getting people to visualize what that change would be. And so I think that really was selling it. It was showing them it can be better. Don't you want that? How would this feel if it was like this? And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. And unfortunately, like most Democrats, they run on a much more left platform and they deliver way in the center. And then they don't understand why they don't do as well but our country is far more left than our politics would have any belief.
1: Wait, I'm sorry, Mike, can you repeat that? I lost the track there. The orientation of people in the country being more like-
0: Oh, our country is far more left than our politics would make you believe. When you actually talk to people, 100%.
1: But what does that mean? That means they believe, What they believe or what they care about is more left, but they don't associate with that.
0: Every successful Democrats that have run, if you look at the promises they made campaigning for president versus what they delivered, they promise a lot more progressive ideals and then they don't deliver. And then their votes go down after that and they're not seen as well because- more people want those big ideas. It's one of those crazy things, but you know, more, more people in our country want positive change. The issue is that our politicians really haven't been speaking for us on either side. Yeah, the, the right is bad, but the left is pretty bought and paid for yeah. by corporations. So it's not like the current left in our country is fighting for people. They're just not fighting for hate. Right. So it looks like they're fighting.
1: I mean, it almost feels like the general populace votes for... For change the change doesn't happen so they goes the other way <laughs> and they and then yeah. they don't get the change that way and then they go the other way and they don't get the cha- you know it's sort of and, yeah. and which which sort of is it the system is broken i mean there's been a lot of conversation about a
0: system a system does exactly what it's designed to and as the people of this country we could redefine all of those systems that we wanted to and it, it's not a long process it's just being obstructed
1: it's you being know, what
0: it's being obstructed Right. You know that that's that's the problem. We we have the ability to change these processes. The problem is, is we don't have the will to change these processes as a group.
1: Right. Which to me is also uh, there's a great expression somebody shared years ago that there's a big difference between a politician and a statesman. Yep. And I think we've we we suffer right now from the vast majority of our leaders are politicians and very few are actually statesmen where they're looking at the their responsibility first and foremost, versus the need slash opportunity to get reelected, you know. And so the decisions that they're they're perpetrating are are so selfish in a way and so biased towards re-election. I
0: mean, we have one party right now that is trying to subvert democracy to keep getting elected. When you look at the at the Jim Crow era laws that are getting passed in Republican held states right now, you know, it is it is shameful Right. That the you know, these people that, that supposedly espouse support for the constitution would and this is me just my veteran heart coming out because you know, I swear to defend that constitution. I, I am a bleeding heart liberal but i believe that america can be that shining beacon on the hill that you i was promised you know i I, you know, I know plenty of people complain about it. i grew up day in and day out saying the pledge of allegiance and you know i think the unfortunate part of that whole thing is that people aren't focusing on the most important words in it. and those words are liberty and justice for all right you know, that's that's what our country is supposed to be right. you know liberty and justice for every man woman and child in it you know and that shining light of western civil you know, western civilization yeah.
1: No, I mean, on that point. one, I, between November 3rd and January 20th, I was obviously struggling as was a lot of, a lot, where a lot of people were not just locally, but what was so interesting to me is after January 20th, and I talked to I have many friends overseas, and they were all so thankful that that had been the outcome. Mm-hmm. And they were thankful because they're basically echoing what you just said, which is, I'm paraphrasing, but if America is no longer the beacon, what do we do? Like, you know, like who is the beacon? What is the beacon? So yeah. I, I mean, I, I will go.
0: I, I will say that I don't think America has been the beacon since probably World War II. I agree with that. When we look at at our recent history, which sadly is the history that they don't teach most people, everyone learns about the Civil War and. And the founding and all that, but for some reason we never talk about Vietnam when we really should talk about.
1: Vietnam. I wonder why, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why.
0: <laughs> I um, there's because his thing how our and how our modern society is shaped is shaped way more importantly by Vietnam than by right ancient Rome or Greece. Right.
1: Right. right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's it's because we haven't been that shining beacon for so long and. Instead of addressing that, some people just want to ignore it. And I don't think that's, you know, I, we can't move forward until we address where we were. And we can't be great until we address why we weren't first.
1: So I, I'm mindful of the time. I love this conversation. And it turned out exactly the way I thought it would turn out when we first met couple of weeks ago, I'm going to give you the magic wand of, of leadership of our country. And with that wand, a wish, like given everything that you've seen in terms of our behavior as a society generally and our politicians' behavior specifically, we talked a little bit about education. So maybe that's your wish. But is, is there is there a wish that you would you would want that would would maybe help us get to I, a better place
0: besides wishing that we didn't fetishize individual freedom, I mean, that, that'd be my top wish. The American love of freedom versus when we look at societies that aren't individualistic to a fault. Right. When we look at communal societies and how much better they do, I think, do we go all the way there? But I think, you know, education, yes. But I think compassion. I think we lack compassion as a country right now. Yeah. And so if I had a magic wand, it would be to compassion. Secondly, I teach critical thinking and economics in high schools so people wouldn't be made poor by decisions before they understood
1: them. Yeah, which in, in a way what I'm taking from both of those wishes is higher empathy and higher rational thought. Like the yeah, book it, it's, ends, it's
0: weird to say like, well, we need to be more emotional and more logical.
1: Yeah, but I think that's, <laughs> I think that's right and I think that's the human the uniquely human capacity is to be both of those things. You know, I would argue that we don't teach either of those particularly well. I think a lot of humans are growing up not receiving much in the way of empathy, which then becomes a reason why they don't exhibit much empathy to others. And similarly with with rational thought or or critical thinking. But I think those are two wonderful, wonderful wishes. And I, I wanna conclude by thanking you for exhibiting both. I think the work that you're doing in your volunteer role, I know, is tapping into both of those veins. You're doing it out of the goodness of your heart, and you're doing it with the fullness of your head. And God gave you a good head and a good heart. So, I love you, man, and thank you for, for helping the cause. I'd love to have you back on the show in a month or so, and just keep the riff going, because it's really, it's both interesting to me and really helpful to me, and I, and I think I'm guessing helpful to the audience as well. well
0: anything I could do to help, Chris, I'd I'd love to love to come back. I don't, I don't know if I'm that entertaining, but do say
1: so, I would. Well, I think you are. So thank you again for being on the show, man. All
0: right. Well, thanks a lot, Chris. It was great.
1: Okay. Bye. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life, and one day, a better world.